Hi, I'm Catherine Barna. I'm the head of communications and brand for Hello Alfred, which is a startup here based in New York City. I am content obsessed. I love the diversity of content. I love that the steady democratization of content over the last decade has given us so many different voices and so many different perspectives. And at the end of the day, I think that content is the thing that unifies and unites people more than anything else, more than a shared background, more than a shared company or school they went to. It's the stuff that we watch and consume and read about on a daily basis. So I'm a fan. From New York City, you're listening to Content is Your Business. Conversations with industry leaders and influencers covering the strategy and innovation of brand storytelling. Hey, everybody. I'm Mark Rako from Mouth Media Network. I'm sitting in on this uh, great conversation, and I'm joined by one of our regular hosts, Mr. Ritesh Gupta. Hey, Ritesh. How are you doing, Mark? I'm great. It's great to see you. It actually has been a while. It's been a minute, but I'm excited to be back and excited for the guests we're about to uh, introduce the world to. Yeah, this is pretty cool. So, uh, Catherine, really love to welcome you to the show. Really love the message that you had about what you love about content. Let's start here. At first look with your company, mm-hmm. I don't think I would look at what your company is and think content. Mm-hmm. That wouldn't be obvious to me. But you're actually a guest who was invited by one of our hosts, Amber mm-hmm. Mundinger, who unfortunately couldn't participate in this conversation. Yeah, she bailed on me. She, mm-hmm. no, <laughs> she I, left you to the sharks. I, she, I know. I'm like, I, intimidating. Is that what we are? Are we sharks? We're yeah, yeah no, I'm like no, quietly texting no. her on the side. Like, what, what have you done? We're sharks. We're like a baby shark. You know, we're right. lovable. Baby sharks. We're, we're easy yeah. to get along baby with. We get in your yeah. head. <laughs> uh, you're going to have a lot of baby shark someday, right? I know I am. Yes, I am. It's okay to see her. You can say I'm currently anticipating my own baby shark in a couple so, months. So. So, congratulations. <laughs> Thank if you, you hear Catherine out of breath, that's why. Exactly. Uh, but all kidding aside, yes. so you look at Hello Alfred, I don't think you'd look at the company and yeah. say, hey, that's about content. But it's interesting because Amber invited you in because actually content is a meaningful piece of what you do. Yeah. So my question is, how is the way you're using content maybe a new way to th- even think about content that probably sure. hasn't occurred to most people? Yeah. Um, I think that's I think that's absolutely an accurate assessment. I think that Hello Alfred on its surface, people might think, okay, it's a technology company or it's a prop tech technology company, you know, dealing mainly with real estate partners or something of that nature. And actually, it's uh, we're a human company at the end of the day. So we like to say we're a tech company that puts human beings at its center. Everything that we do. uh, So if I back up a little bit, you know, Hello Alfred uh, was formed five years ago. We uh, work directly with um, some of the biggest real estate partners and developers in the country to build help as a utility directly into the homes of people across the nation. So if you live in an Alfred building, in an Alfred home, you have a built-in level of help every single week. And that could come in the form of a weekly tidy up, of someone who's picking up your groceries and putting them directly into the fridge for you, of, you know, mounting that TV that you meant to mount when you moved in, but it's been a couple of weeks or a month and you're like, oh God, I still have to do that. And so it's highly personalized, highly curated high-touch hospitality that's directly in your home. And so we do this through a combination of technology and these high-touch hospitality experts called our Alfreds. And so when we even think about the company, we think about ourselves as a human company where technology is the sidekick. And so if we're a human company, it's about stories. I mean, it's about the people whose lives are impacting. It's about our Alfreds, who some of whom are, you know, former stay-at-home moms that are getting back into the workforce because they know how to help people live their lives better, or they're artists and creators who love to help people and, frankly, love that this job gives them the stability as well as the flexibility and health care and benefits because they're W-2 employees. Mm-hmm. It's about the people who we're servicing on a weekly basis who are able to take that free time that we're giving them back and create new businesses or spend time with their families or, you know, finally have time to get into yoga. It's all of those little personal stories are the things that actually make the company sing. It's the actual heart of the business. I love the platform you guys are really starting. 
how are you telling those stories? So how does that manifest into content? Yeah, yeah. Are you curating your own content? Are you gathering other content and yeah. delivering it? We're doing a number of different things. And, you know, I should say I, I've been at the company for just about a year. So some of this stuff is fairly new or some of it I'll mm. be able to share more in the coming, you know, months and weeks as we're building out more of our content team. We Although just, being a year at a, at a tech startup, as we said <laughs> earlier, is, is like being a chiseled years. veteran. Correct. I've, I've been through a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. We've seen the company transform multiple times over that last year. Uh, I'm just now building out the content team, though, which is actually really exciting. Just hired our first ever senior head of content. So what we're doing is curating these stories in a number of different ways, both for digital assets that live on social, Mm -hmm. for curated pieces that actually live within the buildings that people are, are, you know, being serviced in so that when you go into the high tech amenity room, there's actually a rolling video about maybe some of your neighbors Mm -hmm. and what they're up to. Some of the local vendor stories, because we partner with local vendors in Mm -hmm. every single city, very specific, like very unique opportunities to tell, you know, the story of Dan, the handyman down the street and what his life was like. And now here's the company that he runs and actually start to build community through content into some of these buildings and really help make it more of a home. So through digital assets, through printed assets, obviously through social media, I mean, we can't ignore the opportunity that there is to really use social across the board, both our own social, as well as our building social, our partner social. There's a massive ripple effect that happens there. But we really take the time because we have such a personal relationship, both with our Alfreds, with our members and with our partners, we take the time to really get to know them, get to know their stories and do that editorial and that curation ourselves. So you might be, I'll say, you know, Dan, the handyman again, you don't have your own PR team. You probably don't even have your own professional headshot. Maybe you haven't even thought about how unique your story is and how many people would want to hear it and how it can help your business because you're you know, busy building your own kind of brick and mortar and building your own uh, client base. And we can help with that too. So I really look at all the stories and in these markets that we're in because they're so diverse. In which markets? So we're in about 21 cities in the U.S. So you can imagine the stories that we have and the people that we have and the vendors that we work with in Miami, totally different from Portland, totally Mm -hmm. different from Jersey City, uh, completely different from L.A. And so I think it's really important to also take a very local lens on our storytelling. There's certainly and, you know, I oversee communications and brands. So there's obviously like high level corporate brand narrative of who we are and what we're doing. I think the thing that actually makes a huge difference in people's lives and the thing that actually helps tell your story as a brand are these hyper-specific, local, personal messages that, you know, are about your friends and neighbors. Yeah, I want to get into that. So I want to get into the nitty gritty a little Mm -hmm. bit. So let's talk about that editorial. So what are you gathering? Because if you were just to have a team, if I'm listening to this right now and I haven't made content, that can sound very overwhelming because we're talking about in any one of these cities, maybe thousands of vendors, people in the community, et cetera. So what are the types of content? Explain yeah. it like, are you taking their own video? Are you sending teams out to capture video? Yeah. Like, what are you doing yeah, to get this? Yeah, totally. So one of the things that I've been doing, and I'm so grateful for them, is that we have amazing market leads in every single city. So for me, as a you know person sitting here in New York, lives in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. works in, in Manhattan, for me to make an assumption about what someone in Seattle you know, really cares about what they're reading, what's interesting to them, what's going to pop for them in terms of a content standpoint. I'm making a pretty big leap, you know, mm-hmm. I, of, of uh, assuming that what I think is interesting is the same thing that mm-hmm. uh, that audience might think is interesting. But I have an incredible market lead in Seattle who's able to really run that team, run that business, get to know those vendors and those partners and those uh, members on an incredibly intimate level and act as my sort of sounding board and liaison of like, okay, what are the stories that are interesting to you in your market? What are the things that are popping for you? So, so the when first you find thing for that, me, yeah, when you find those, like, what will you then do? What's the next step? Like, does that person in Portland, cure, like, do they go out and capture it? Like, what's that? Yeah. So we have a few different ways. So we do have the opportunity to, in that case, uh, if we have someone who's a specialist on the ground, 
because we have such diverse talent just within our own corporate team and our Alfred team. If we have someone who's on the ground in Seattle, like our area manager, Sam in Seattle, happens to be an amazing videographer. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I got so lucky in that there's someone there who I actually can say, OK, let's talk about the stories. Let's talk about what's happening in your market. Let's talk about the new buildings that you're working with, the new vendors, the new partners. Oh, my gosh, your Alfred has an amazing story. Let's look at that and figure out what's the piece that we want to highlight. And with Sam, he's incredible because I can say, "Okay, Mm -hmm. let's actually shoot some video and have something super dynamic. Mm -hmm. If that's not the case and it's not the case in every single market yet, I think that there is a world where we have a marketing or content Mm -hmm. specialist that's centralized, at least regionally, where I can kind of deploy versus uh, doing everything remotely. But if that's not the case, there's a great opportunity. You jump on a Zoom, you know, you get creative, you jump Mm -hmm. on a call Say, connect me with your, you know, top house cleaning vendor who's got mm-hmm. a great story. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get on the phone with them. I'm going to do a little mini interview, kind of like great. this, like very personal. Mm-hmm. Like I said, it's also, these are people's personal stories. We're part of a team together. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone is in this together. It's not like, it shouldn't feel formal. It shouldn't feel scary. Mm-hmm. Let me help you figure out what it is that's interesting about your story and compelling. Mm-hmm. Let me send you some very basic guidelines to either take a photo if you don't have one or if there's someone local who we can send to do it for you. That's great. Let me turn this into a little mini piece about Mm -hmm. why you started your business, how this opportunity to partner with us has impacted you. What is your superpower is a question that we love to ask. And let's turn it into something that both can live within the building so that people there can get to know their neighbors, Mm -hmm. can live in our social and a new series that we're rolling out can live on our website eventually, can live in our app eventually, so that if you're localized and you're looking for something in the app and you're kind of scrolling through and saying, oh, I actually need this service done, you're seeing something more dynamic than just house cleaning. You're seeing Amber, the house cleaner in Portland, who this is her background and this is all about her. So I think that's great. trying to bring the personal into people's services and experiences, because I think at the end of the day, we we want to know the people in our lives who are impacting it. We Mm want to feel connected to our neighborhood and our neighbors You know, more and more people are living in cities now. It can be incredibly lonely and isolating. So part of our job in helping people live better in cities is helping them get to know the ecosystem around them. Yeah, I think that's smart because I think I love what you said, too, about just hopping on a Zoom and chatting with somebody like that. Because, it, you know, that's what that's where I was sort of going is that there's so many. It almost feels like overwhelming. There's so many things to talk about. There's so many stories to tell that if you think about it all at once. It becomes overwhelming. But when you think about utilizing simple technology like Zoom, video chatting and recording, that's a great way. Yeah, Yeah, especially if you're scrappy startup mode, too, I will say. I mean, I think and I think larger companies can learn from this, too. The opportunity to try something and learn from it and fail or do really well, but, you know, try again. I think that we certainly favor things that are like, let's just try it. Let's so let's go down. I want to go down that road for a second. Yeah. We're in a world where everything's evolving. Like you said, you've got to try things and fail. So what have you tried and failed that you learned from and what did you learn from it? That's a great question. So just staying on the content piece, of course, mm-hmm. and staying. Um, with and it so- doesn't just have to be yeah, content. Yeah. It could be anything. <laughs> there are plenty of things. I mean, yeah. plenty of things yeah. we tried and failed uh, and personally tried and failed. I'm constantly, this is who I am. I'm constantly trying to find Ways to involve people who maybe don't have a background in marketing, who maybe haven't done something formally on camera before or don't even know that they can. And I'm always the person that's like, you can do this. I can train you. I can make you comfortable and we can try something. And Mm -hmm. I want to elevate other voices so it's not the same people you expect time and time again uh, and really help to lift up other people in the company to give them visibility. That being said, I've certainly tried things where I'm like, hey, why don't you, you know, person in a different market who I haven't met, why don't you try doing a content series around X, Y, and Z and realize that, you know, for some people, that's super intuitive and they know how to just quick, quick and dirty do an Instagram story Mm -hmm. on what their day was like. And for some people where that's not super intuitive or they haven't been trained on it or they frankly don't know that they're empowered to really just try something. You have to be much more specific and do a little bit more handholding, like down to the hold the hold your iPhone mm-hmm. this way mm-hmm. and shoot this piece. And so it's been an interesting learning this push pull of wanting people to feel 
totally empowered and trusted to be as creative as they can be and to say, like, there are no rules here. Like, we're trying things. You can't mm. mess it up. You can't yeah. you can't offend me if you send me something and I go like, no, oh, that wasn't great. Like, it's not mm-hmm. going to hurt my feelings. And I'm going to be very delicate with yours because mm-hmm. you've just done something that's essentially a favor for me. Right. But on the flip side, there are some people who to give them a blank canvas is terrifying. Mm. And, you know, to say, I want to promote what your day was like or what you care about in your city and send me, you know, send me literally anything mm-hmm. and I will make it work is too is too abstract, is too intimidating or is just like not fun for them. So mm-hmm. I've tried things and learned and failed and been like, OK, I need to set at least a more specific set of boundaries and guidelines if I'm going to kind of empower people, especially cross city or, or across the country mm-hmm. where we don't have the opportunity to kind of hold hands together yeah. in it. Yeah. Like, be much more precise. <laughs> Catherine, just circling back a yeah. little bit uh, in terms of what you're actually doing content wise, yeah. how is this being provided to the people within the community effectively that you've been building yeah. the, the Alfred people, if you yeah. will, the residents and the vendors and whoever else is involved. Is this behind a walled garden or, or a platform of sorts that in order to get the content with the exception of social media, you are you this is delivered within that platform yeah yes and no i would say obviously social is the easiest way for anyone to kind of tap in and see what it is that alfred's doing a lot of our content as i mentioned we we actually because we're in buildings we create for a tech company a surprising number of printed assets whether it's stuff that lives and hangs in the in the walls of your building or i'm currently putting together we're about to release an entire guide to living um based on a ton of research and interviews and insights that we've gathered both from our communities, from our partners and from experts in the field. And that will be a multi-purpose and kind of multi-touch point release that will both be printed assets, digital, social, will live on our website. Mm-hmm. And then we certainly have a number of different emails and things that go specifically both to our residents in our buildings as well as we have a large community of people who are interested in Alfred and are waiting for us to come to their building mm. and uh, are, you know, interested in staying abreast of what we're doing, even though they themselves can't experience the service yet. So it's there's a multi kind of approach here. I would love to see us in the new year mm-hmm. do more to sort of pull back the curtain on what we're doing and how we're seeing people's lives change. Publicly. Publicly, correct. Because I think that there's a tremendous amount of insight that we have on the way that people's lives have actually changed in the five years that we've been in business Mm -hmm. and how we see that continuing to shift because we're one of the only companies in the world that has this intimate relationship in people's lives where we are physically in your home week in, week out, and we have this trusted relationship with you where, you know, we can anticipate what it is that you need before you even have to say it. So we have this relationship with our partners and our residents and our vendors. And I think in 2020, I want to share more of what we've learned and what we've seen with the world. So the drive is less, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, the drive with content is less. You're in this community. We provide this value to you when you're in the community, which is this content, which you get when you're part of the community. Then it is... We want to communicate about the community publicly to show you why it's amazing and the service that you provide. And also, when you're a part of the community, we want to also communicate who you are as value to you to the rest of the world. Yeah, and I think that's a shift. You know, I think that that's part of what I see is really lifting up what has been so special about actually building a community and building these micro communities within the building, within the neighborhood, within the city kind of spirals out from there and actually making that more visible. And so most of your communities at this point are in larger cities like Seattle, New York and so forth, right? Where where frankly, there's a lot of mass transit. So so a question I have that naturally is, is one thing you did not mention was podcasts. Yeah, And it seems just obvious to me. We should do one. (laughs) Well, well, regardless of the business that we're in, it, it just seems obvious to me with the stories to tell. Yeah. The fact that many of these people are not immediately accessible to you, but through the magic of 21st technology are easily accessible. But most of the people that you want to communicate with are in large cities, many of them utilizing podcasts as a way to consume content. Are you touching those people in that way? And if not, how does that play into your 2020 roadmap? I mean, I'm I'm not just saying this because I'm here, but I think podcasts have been like one of the most 
amazing, you know, I don't even want to say introductions to content for people in the last decade because mm-hmm. they've been around for quite some time. But obviously in the last few years, just the impact of the podcasting space has been tremendous. So I certainly in my if I shift from my brand and editorial and content hat to my public relations and communications mm-hmm. hat, we certainly are utilizing things like podcasts and media and, you know, blogs and editorial and op-eds and all of that in sort of the communicating our brand proposition from a straight Mm -hmm. up PR standpoint. Mm -hmm. From a shifting and doing more, you know, doing our own podcast or something like that. I mean, I think that in 2020, all of that is fair game. I do think there is a natural extension of sharing these voices in people's own words, in Mm -hmm. their own voice and in their own time in a comfortable setting that feels very natural. So as we're building out the 2020, you know, content roadmap, I think that there's absolutely a space to look at things like podcasting much Mm -hmm. more seriously than we have in the past. Clearly, there's so much more to talk about, and I can't <laughs> wait to dive in. I, I I can see Ritesh over there on the edge of his seat. I know he's got another question mm-hmm. to dive into. But first, yes. this has been quite a segment. I'm hungry. <laughs> and like many of our guests, you've been very kind to participate in the tradition we have on the show, which is to break bread, if you will, yes. a, a chance to have something to share. Often our guests will bring a snack in, and sometimes there's a little story behind the snack. So I'd love to hear what you brought. Do you see a bag over there? It looked <laughs> heavy when you brought in, to be honest with you. And I'd like to know what you did and why. Yeah, it's heavy. It's full of hopes and dreams. So I hope it, <laughs> Ooh, I hope it I lives love up. That. Heavy hopes and dreams. <laughs> love that. Uh, yes. Yeah, so I said when I first came in that I, I love to bake, but I did not bake for you guys. Mm-hmm, and I apologize. Okay. It's always tomorrow. But I, there's always tomorrow. It's been very busy. <laughs> but normally I am like, and Amber, if she was here, uh, would attest that I, I, love to, I love to bake and I love to surprise people with treats. But it's been a little bit too crazy. So I thought... If I can't bake a sweet treat, I do happen to live very close to one of the most wonderful Italian restaurants and bakeries, Lilia Restaurant in Williamsburg, which if you have not been, is I, I delish. Live, I live next door as well. Oh, so we're, we're neighbors. neighbors. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, you're you, based on what you had for breakfast this morning from our previous conversation, you are much healthier than I am. So I might be frequenting <laughs> Lilia more than you are uh, to eat pasta and pastry. So I picked up a few goodies. Um, their olive oil cake is mm. to die for. Oh, it is delicious. Uh, there is also a little donut that has a tiramisu filling and a mocha Come on. little uh, thing on top. A carrot cake muffin. And a, I'm going to butcher the name because I'm not Italian, but like an Italian fried fritter with with powdered sugar on top. I should also say, you've already mentioned that I'm pregnant, so I don't mind saying this. This baby has the sweetest tooth <laughs> that has ever existed. The baby knows what's going on. Baby knows what's good for him. So I walked in there and was like, one of each, please. So maybe Baby Shark was an accurate description. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It might um, be. I would also like to apologize to you on Mike that we had expected more people in the studio today. And unfortunately, just the way things worked out, there are fewer of us. We're having a great conversation. Yeah. But I realized that you prepared for more people, and I appreciate that. So uh, Ritesh and I will do our very <laughs> yeah. best to participate with you in still making that work. You guys, don't worry. I will I will eat whatever pastry doesn't get okay. eaten, so no it. worries. <laughs> yeah, after the break, I'd, you know, I'd really love to talk to you about how you come into a startup that is humming and sort of moving, and how do you bring your vision in and your ideas in, and how do you sort of navigate that world of um, doing what's working, but also, you know, bring yourself to the, the equation. Love to, after the break, find out your mindset on that. That's up next. But right now, reading. <laughs> Love it. Hi, I'm Roseanne Gold. I'm a chef, an author, a food writer, and the host of a new podcast called One Woman Kitchen. So excited to be doing this because I'm interviewing the most fascinating women in the food world. And you don't even have to be interested in the food world or be part of it to enjoy these remarkable women's stories. It's diverse, it's international, it's intergenerational. What's most exciting to me is that the concept of one woman kitchen means something different for everyone. You can listen to One Woman Kitchen every week at onewomankitchenshow.com. And also where all the best podcasts can be found. 
All right, Catherine. First of all, thank you for those delightful <laughs> sweets. I must say, I just feel like I've started the day out right. Thank wow. you. Before we get to uh, the question that Ritesh had teased earlier, I just want to ask you, you know, we didn't talk much about really the genesis of the company. How is the mission that the company has had, as you understand it, coming mm-hmm. in for the last year, mm-hmm. as it kind of set itself forward and say, this is what we're about. This is what we want to accomplish. This is how we're thinking about it. Now, five years in, wherever they are related to that original thinking. Yeah. So as you think about the types of content that you're producing, you're thinking about the things that you're doing, the way you're undertaking, the way you're thinking about things, the way you're laying out the roadmap for the future mm-hmm. in, in every aspect of the company. What is your understanding that you can communicate about what that original mindset was and kind of maybe how it's transformed now, even if it is different and how that impacts the things I just mentioned? Is that a fair question? That's absolutely a fair question. Um, I'll tell a little bit about the founding of Hello Alfred because I think it will help illuminate okay. kind of where we are today. The Alfred, that has nothing to do with <laughs> Batman, does it? It actually 100% has to do with All Batman. Right. <laughs> Mark, you're good. Uh, yes, our founders, Jess and Marcella, met at business school. They. I thought you were going to say they met at Comic Con. I swear. Yeah. I thought you were going to say that. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. No, but when Marcella tells the story, she talks about growing up that she had a Barbie dream house, but she would put her brother's Batman action figures in the Barbie <laughs> dream house. Batman. Yeah, exactly. No, well, so we, you know, we love we love Batman, and there's a big uh, DC Universe theme in our office. If you go to like our our oh, conference rooms, awesome. they're like named Catwoman and things like that. Um, well, the concept behind Batman, you know, he's. In, in many ways, he's a, a regular guy who, with the help of technology and his trusted sidekick, Alfred, is able to transform into a superhero. So the role of Alfred at, at Hello Alfred is that we're all just trying to do the best we can with the limited amount of time that we have in the day and in our lives. And with the help of technology and your Alfred, you know, you can have the time and headspace to be your own superhero as well. I also personally love that a service-based company that is in the home has a man's name. I think it's I think it's great. I think it's mm. like a little counterintuitive, and I think mm. it's incredibly smart of the founders that they did that five years ago. Um, so they met at business school and were both formerly McKinsey consultants, you know, went to business school probably to think they were going to like take a break from their crazy, hectic lives and found that the time that it took just to manage the basics of you know, having a clean home, food on the table, clean clothes, going to school, working and being interesting and compassionate people. It, they like drew a pie chart of their time and was like, there's so much time that's going into just maintaining all of these to do's in my life that I could be putting towards other things. Mm-hmm. So it was really brought of a of a need that they had of recognizing that time is our most valuable resource and we only have a limited amount of it. How mm-hmm. can we actually help people give some of their time back? That coupled with the fact that at Harvard Business School, while they were there, a study was released that showed the percentage of women who completed Harvard Business School and then dropped out of their careers afterwards was incredibly high. And so they did a little bit of research on their own, reaching out to some of these women, both people who stayed in the workforce and those who had departed afterwards and kind of asked the question of, how did you either manage to stay with your career or how did you or why did you after going through all of this? Exactly. And at the end of the day, in their own words, every single one of these women who had continued to succeed in their careers gave some version of the anecdote. I, I had help. I had help in my life. I had a husband who stayed home or I had my mother live with me or I had a nanny or I had a whole a whole team of people kind of helping me live my life. And so that concept of, okay, successful people need help in their homes in particular and in their lives. And time is the only thing that we have Mm -hmm. inspired them to create the concept of Hello Alfred, of someone of a service and a person and an embodiment of hospitality that could come in and get to know you. And on a very personal level, on a trusted level, and not even be about like, let's check stuff off your list, but actually, what do you want to achieve? Mm-hmm. Do you want to have time to be healthier? Do you want to have time to start your own business? That is so smart. And the reason, sorry to interject. Yeah, no, totally. The thing that I kept thinking about while you were talking about this, Catherine, was yes, this frees up time. And not to get into questioning the idea of the company or anything, but no, no. Yes, this frees up time. Yes, this helps people accomplish more or whatever. But it also does it remove them from the texture 
of dealing with some of the things in life and the experiences and the learnings that come from actually mm-hmm. being involved with some of those yeah. things. And if you turn this into here's how this can allow you not just to achieve more or not deal with stuff, but tend to other things that are also important in life that you're not letting yourself do, like be healthier. I think that's so not just smart from a business standpoint. I think it's healthy thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The technology is lending itself right to where these things can be available. So I want to dig a little bit into the strategy because yeah. I think what you're you're starting to allude to the strategy of why they even came up with the company. In Hello Alpha's mind, who is your segmentation? Who's your target? Is it moms at home, right? Because mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. your, it sounds like the company was created to solve a void or mm-hmm. a, you know, a problem in the world, mm-hmm. which was missing for women are, you know, working moms, your target, like who is your target? Yeah. So it's a great question. And I think it's certainly a personal desire to want to see more women able to stay in their careers and to succeed. I'm very proud to work at a tech company, nonetheless, that's run by two women. Mm -hmm. So I think that there's there is an important undercurrent in the founding of the company Mm -hmm. about giving women the opportunity to let go of the second shift, Mm -hmm. which is the job that we all do after we've done our our work and our careers and then go home and have a second shift waiting mm-hmm. for us. It's just in some ways we haven't come that far mm-hmm. in, in kind of changing uh, that piece of our culture. But that being said, it's not like Alfred is a service just for women at all. We have a very even split um, between women and men that use the service. We have folks from 19 to 95 using the service. At the end of the day, Food, clean clothes, clean home, help, it's universal. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely something that Mm -hmm. everybody needs. Everyone needs a little bit of help, a little bit of time back, a little bit of support and trust. And often one of the things that we're providing in people's lives is just the ability to be seen. You know, like I said, it can be very isolating and very lonely Mm -hmm. living in a city. So having a trusted person who understands you and knows your life, really important. But as the um, but head of communicate, yeah. But as the head yeah. of communications, I want to get at. Yeah, so, so now, when you're going to communicate that, how are who you know, my how, who's my audience? Mm-hmm. It's interesting. So we have this. Uh, it's a slightly more complex um, kind of messaging strategy, only because we are at the end of the day we're a B two B two C company. Mm-hmm. So we work directly. Our, our number one touch point or our first touch point are actually these building developers and these buildings and the managers and every single person in the building really mm-hmm. who is on that support team needs to understand and be a part of the Alfred family because they are the the gatekeeper to our resident. So in that sense, you have to have a really strong business and real estate positioning for that audience to understand, okay, what is this going to mean for me for bringing value to my building? Right. Why is this, you know, a, a better than a different amenity that I could add on? Like, what's the answer there? So as a B2B2C company, we spend a tremendous amount of time, obviously, mm-hmm. speaking to that audience and messaging to them and making sure that the real mm-hmm. estate community understands and appreciates the value that we provide. Mm-hmm. For me, myself, kind of coming in at one year now, looking at our messaging and our story and a lot of the content that we're going to start to do more of in 2020. Yes, we're B2B to C, but that C piece is so important Mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, we're in people's lives. Mm -hmm. We're in people's homes. Mm -hmm. We're the only company at scale with the trust of these residents to really see them. And so that at the end of the day is the most important audience in my mind. Mm -hmm. And that's the piece that we're going to be doing a lot more from a messaging and strategic communication standpoint and content standpoint. It's about showcasing how your life is changing, mm-hmm. not just here are all the things that we can do that we can check off your list, but actually here's how you and your neighbors and mm-hmm. people around you are living dramatically differently mm-hmm. today and how they'll be living tomorrow. Thank you, Catherine. Uh, before we continue, just some good news. We had mentioned that we were a little light on people, a little heavy on goodies it just so happens we have one more person now, Amber Mundinger, one of our regular hosts, we thought was not going to be able to join this conversation, but she's suddenly showing up. So happy <laughs> hey that guys. you're here. Well, um, well, well. Especially well, well. because Catherine was invited by Amber yes. to participate. So hi, Amber. Welcome again to the show. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Um, it's so, been chaotic while you were gone. <laughs> I'm right. glad I could help Never make know it who may stop by, yeah. right? <laughs> Everybody, Regis Philbin. <laughs> um, anyway, so we'll continue, but I just wanted to explain why there may be another voice on the on the show. Perfect. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about, you just mentioned, you know, you're a year in to a company that's yes. been around for five years. Yes. 
So, you know, they have their brand purpose. Everything's sort of been set before you get there. And when you're the head of communications, like, how do you bring in your ideas? Like, how do you navigate that world where you're like, hey, you guys are great. This is fantastic. But, you know, I have some ideas. How do you bring that into the fold? How do you navigate that world? It's a great question. Um, And I think it's a valid question whether you're at a startup or even more so if you're at a legacy company that's been sort of doing something for so long and you're coming in kind of trying to shake things up. Um, And I've had, this is my third startup. And before that, I was at more traditional media companies. And I always take the approach of first, when I'm looking at a role, chances are that there's something that they're already doing that is, whether it's the mission or an approach that they're taking that really speaks to me and I can see myself being a part of. So I have to be bought into the bigger picture Mm -hmm. before I join somewhere. And with Alfred, it was so, it was so obvious to me right Mm -hmm. away of, Mm -hmm. you know, providing help in people's lives in a myriad of different ways that there were so many ways into that. And I could see so clearly we're telling that story in one way, but there's actually so many different ways to do so. So I had the, the passion and the interest to already with what they had been doing. That said, yeah, they're, you know, been doing things for four years up to a certain point in a certain way. And, you know, then I kind of come in I'm like, mm-hmm. all right, I've got some different ideas here. Mm-hmm. I always try to take the approach first of, of listening more than uh, directing, at least when I first get somewhere. I think the most important thing in any role and especially in a communications and brand role where you are you are taking a seat that is steering the way that this company is going to be mm-hmm. perceived there has to first be that level of trust especially between myself and the ceo mm-hmm. that and this is again this is my approach if i came in guns blazing right away and was like burn down everything you've been doing mm-hmm. i'm here now like let's mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> let me tell you how it's done i don't see that being the most successful route so i really try to take first more of a consultative approach and really earn the trust and really understand why the decisions that were being made were, you know, were made to begin with. And chances are, you know, there's a very good reason for a lot of it. And then especially a startup, chances are there's a reason that maybe made sense four years ago that hasn't been analyzed since. Because when you're at a startup, you kind of can end up in a little bit of tunnel vision of like, we're just going so, so, so fast and doing that we forget to step back and and look at things. So Mm I usually look at the first three months of anything of like, let me jump in. Let me plug in all the holes that I see. Let me learn as much as I can. Let me show you that I'm someone that you should trust with your brand and with your voice and then start to really, you know, push my own thoughts and opinions. And sometimes, you know, in that three months, the assumptions that you had going in, you've realized, oh, actually, they're they're totally they're totally different or they're a little bit Maybe it's 45 degrees different. Right. And so it does take that time, I think, to kind of understand and appreciate everything that's happening, especially at a fast paced company mm-hmm. where I said we're in, you know, over 20 cities and yeah. very different and diverse things happening in every single region. You know, taking the time to actually understand what the story is, who the people are and why they've done the things they've done up to this point before completely doing a wholesale rewrite of <laughs> of what the yeah. brand positioning is, I think it's been really effective. And then I kind of try to keep that mindset mm-hmm. throughout the course of my tenure there, because if you've been at a startup, you know, every six months you might be at a different company in some way. You know, you're at the same yeah. place, but mm-hmm. things are changing and evolving so quickly that I think you have to have a little bit of that flexible mindset and being able to really see what's happening, adapt to it, be OK with uncertainty or be OK with change and not so rigid in your assumptions yeah. that you kind of miss that, oh, shoot, we're actually we're going in this direction oh, totally. now. <laughs> I know, exactly. You know, what? I want to talk a little bit about that because your background is so interesting. And you said that you alluded to this is your third startup, right? Correct. So you were also at a Tumblr. I was. Yes. Um, so I want to talk yeah. a little bit about that because that's, you know, it's interesting where we are right now and where Tumblr is and where yeah. Tumblr was. Yeah. And so while you were there, that was one of the burgeoning looks like it's going to be the next Twitter. So talk to me about being at a company of that size and scale. And what did you learn from that stop? And like, what did you see while you were there? I think you were on the ground floor of that. Correct. Yeah. One of the first employees. Yeah. So when you were, when you started there, like, what was that startup like? What was that feeling like? And then take me through some of the steps and how it grew. I mean, it was the most fun ever. 
Like, I have to say that full stop. I was so I joined in early 2011. Uh, Tumblr had been around for a few years already. So kind of very similar to what we're talking about now that even though it was a teeny tiny company, I was employee number 25. I was one of the first non-technical hires. But they had a culture and they had a thing going on that was very specific to the time that, you know, I came in and I was not a tech you know, I do not come from tech. I was a I was an actress and a playwright that then went into communications and mm-hmm. media and then went into tech. So I've had a, you know, this winding path to kind of lead me here anyway. So I came in with a very different, you know, outlook and very mm-hmm. different personality type. I remember I would have to take calls at my desk and all the engineers would look at me like, why is she speaking to people? Like they would all have their <laughs> headphones on. And uh-huh. So my office for the first couple of years was the stairwell. <laughs> I would just be like, I'm sorry. You ha-. I'm like, my title is communications. Mm-hmm. I do have to speak to people sometimes. And they're like, what is she doing? Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, I mean, it was a blast. We were, we were building something incredible. Um, and it was very much in the sort of early, you know, social media, you know, 1.0 or whatever you want to call it. And we were all super young and were, it was my first time being at a company where we would work really hard. We would go break and get dinner. We would go back to the office and work hard again. And I looked around and was like, all these people are friends. Like what? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like other, at other companies, you, you find your tribe. But I was like, everybody here is so enamored with the mission and mm-hmm. what we're building and what we're doing in a level to a level that we're all bought in and we're all so committed in a way that felt very different from anywhere else. I so had what did been. that teach you? Well, so it taught me personally that I love startup life. Mm-hmm. You know, that taught me like to be at a place that is building and growing where you can really see your fingerprints on, you know, the product and mm-hmm. on the people mm-hmm. was something that before that I hadn't realized was, was kind of my, my perfect fit. Was that a rush when you saw that? Like, what was that like when you see, cause you're coming into something you've yeah. never been a part of. Correct. And then when you see that, what is that feeling like when you start to see this thing to sort of metastasize and take shape? And I mean, it's the most exciting thing in the world to mm-hmm. see the work that you're doing actually impacting people. And for Tumblr in particular, you know, we were really we were very creator centric mm-hmm. before that was kind of like a catchphrase. Mm-hmm. We were very much about, okay, we want you as a creator to be able to use this as a springboard to do whatever it is that you want to do. So working with, you know, people that were just starting out mm-hmm. and starting to put their work on Tumblr and kind of helping them find their voice and helping promote their work and then see them go on to become, you know, humans of New York and have, mm-hmm gigantic Mm -hmm. book deals and partners with brands and everything like that. And you're like, that is so satisfying and so creative, you know, so, so satisfying, so fulfilling. And just to have like a tiny, tiny, tiny little piece of their story, you know, is because of the work that you did was really, it was a, it was a rush. It was a thrill. Um, So I think that that, you know, actually seeing the impact on, on people on a personal level of uh, what you're building really spoke to me in a, in a pretty significant way. What did that teach you about the power of content and the power of branding? Well, I think that it was one of the first moments that I really looked at our brand at Tumblr and realized that in so many ways, our brand is just an extension of all of the great work that everyone else is doing mm-hmm. and that there can be a real power to using your brand uh, to actually uplift other people and to sort of in a way that sounds counterintuitive, but be the backseat driver and let other people's work shine. And that there's a great brand halo effect that comes with being a part of other incredible people's stories that it doesn't always have to be just you kind of thumping Mm. your chest, but actually by showcasing incredible personal and unique work and stories and content, there's a huge ripple effect that does have tremendous positive impact on your brand. One of the things that happens when you showcase other people and yeah. you're you're not doing that as a way of building brand image, but you're hopeful that that will reverberate through their communities Yeah, is in some way you need to make sure that those people share that. It becomes evident to their communities. How are you building, if, if at all, in your content a call to action, if you will, that will inspire a spark in the people that you, whose stories you feature to share that instead of saying, 
thank you for all the great press. That's amazing. <laughs> and, and, and inspire them. Or how are you working with them even to make sure that the content continues its momentum through their communities into people that you're not already reaching? Yeah, I think that's a really great question. And it's an interesting one because I do not control or own your message as as kind of my partner in this. So we have to be collaborative. And I also have to appreciate that there are boundaries that you may or may not have and that it's a relationship. So I think it all comes down to this being a partnership, this being a relationship. And when we talk about everything that we do at Alfred, from the content that we're making to the people that we're working with, this whole thing is built on a foundation of trust. And if that's not there, then Forget about figuring out the amplification strategy of like (laughs) down the line, who's seeing it and where, because if if the trust is broken and if our relationship is purely transactional, then it's it's not worth even going down that road. So we're about relationships or I'm about relationships, not interactions. So if we have a relationship and we're both kind of going in this together and we understand how we can help each other and support each other, you're already starting off on a better you know, on a on better footing to have that story, a have like the right tone and the right message, especially if we're doing something with press. It's not marketing like there is a third party that's mm-hmm. controlling the way that this is going to come out. Yeah. And that is the, the beauty of media. And uh, so there's no guarantee there. But if we're starting from the right place and the right relationship, the chance that that's going to come out in the way that, you know, we're all hoping it will is a lot stronger and higher. And then, of course, there is the further amplification that comes with reverberating through each person's community. Mm-hmm. And you can certainly do some stuff to support that. But as I said, if from the get go, you're not setting up the relationship properly, then the whole thing kind of starts to fall apart. One so, thing okay. to it, Alfred, you know, you're in people's homes, you know, yeah. so that's a whole other layer of trust. That both is like correct. with your clients and just how that's perceived. Mm. And it comes down to, Every single decision that the company has ever made comes down to that. From the decision five years ago to make our Alfred's W-2 employees with full-time benefits and health insurance and fair wage, while everybody else who's a service-based business was going in full gig. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. From that decision of, you know, the most important customer that we have is our employee. Mm -hmm. That is like at the end of the day, we have to have trust between us and they have to feel supported and protected before we can send them into someone's home mm, right. as our, frankly, like our biggest and most prominent embodiment of our brand is our Alfred. Like they are out there on the front lines. They are the most important part of the company. Mm, so yeah. if that relationship is not one of trust then the relationship between our consumers won't be there, the buildings, but like the whole, you know, it's a house of cards. So yeah. everything that we do has always been around. Is this, building up trust or is this eroding trust? And when you look at that, whether it's who we partner with, how we make the business decisions, what stories we share, I don't want to say it's ever an easy decision, but that is a very clear lens that you can put on every single thing that you do. (laughs) I want to ask one question. I want to get one more question in. I do want to go back to your time at Tumblr. And I think it's really fascinating because you were at a company that was at the top of the mountain and has also not been at the top of the mountain. And I want to ask you, I have two questions in here. What's the best thing you've learned from success? And also, what's one of the biggest setbacks you witnessed or experienced while your time at Tumblr? And what did you learn from that? Yeah, that's a great question. And yeah, I was at Tumblr for six years. So I went from being 25th employee. People didn't really know who we were. So Mm -hmm. completely building the brand from scratch those late nights and those like mm-hmm. scrappy, like let's put something out every single day. Let's figure out what our narrative is and what our messaging is through getting acquired by Yahoo, which was super exciting. And, you know, obviously for the New York tech community also like mm-hmm. a, a huge indicator of success um, to then I stayed for, for a few years post Yahoo. I felt really strongly that I wanted to make sure that Tumblr's brand stayed intact and that we uh, continued to be known for the things that we were known for. I mean, I think, I mean, one of the things I'm most proud of at Tumblr was actually a huge campaign that I created called Post It Forward 
that was, you know, years ago before a lot of people were talking so openly about mental health. It was a mental and emotional well-being campaign because we had a lot of young users on Tumblr who were struggling with things. And we also had a lot of users who were reaching out to each other and showing support and like talk about content at its finest Mm -hmm. and bridging the divide between people to actually reach out and help a number of nonprofits that we brought in to work with us and a number of influencers and celebrities who participated in the campaign. That was one of the things I was the proudest of. And it was actually a wonderful lesson because it was this huge moment for us of doing something that was the right thing that was using content and using our platform in service of something that could truly benefit people. But it was also created out of a really dark moment Mm -hmm. where we were seeing a lot of things that were happening on the platform Mm -hmm. that were quite frankly, the opposite of that, that we're, you know, people are struggling and don't know where to turn to. And they're putting their thoughts out there that are really troubling and kind of finding a void. What's the return you witnessed when when that when you did this rollout? Yeah. So it was incredible. The impact that it had on people in the community and the number it was also it was a bit of a content play. Also, we were asking people to share you know, their experiences and say, if you could go back and tell yourself something at your you know hardest time, what would you do? And we had tremendous engagement more. So I thought it was going to be like a one month campaign. And I think, I think it still exists today. And this was mm-hmm. five years ago that we created it. And it also helped me create our first ever corporate social responsibility team mm-hmm. there. So from a engagement and content creation perspective, it was incredibly successful, continued to be an important pillar for Tumblr. It actually gave us a bit of brand positioning around an issue that we were able to completely go all in on. And then from a press standpoint, if you look at the press 12 months before uh, to 12 months after, there had been a story that I think called us, I want to say cesspool of the internet might have been one of the phrases that was used. As the head of communications, I would like crawled into a hole and died and was like, oh, my God. (laughs) But you have to look at that and go this. First of all, not accurate. Second of all, wait a minute. We actually can do more here. Like we're I can't say with confidence we've done everything to solve this problem. Mm -hmm. So what can we do? So it gave me a good kick to be like, we actually have a role in people's lives that can be incredibly impactful. So then 12 months later, that same story more or less came out saying, Tumblr is the most supportive community for Mm. the mental health uh, space. And here's what they're doing. And so talk about brand positioning and all of that from a from a very high level strategic level. I was incredibly proud of it. I was incredibly proud that it was, you know, a huge turnaround for us. But then on a human level to see the stories that we're getting from our users, I did a little pop up at our office for mental health and people were coming and they were saying, I don't actually even know how I found out about this. I just know I needed to be here. Wow. And so that's the human impact. I mean, that's the thing that we've been talking about this whole time, that the personal mm-hmm. story is actually what speaks to all of us. And it's the stuff that you remember. That's incredible. I do want to ask you that the second part of that question, which was what is the biggest setback or mistake you witnessed or experienced? And how did you learn from that? Yeah, I don't know if it's setback or mistake is a fair way to characterize it. But I do think, you know, for all of the work that we did for so many years, to keep Tumblr independent, and to really tell our story in a way that was separate from what was going on with our parent company. Mm-hmm. It's uh, when a large and very watched company mm-hmm. such as Yahoo at the time is going through what they're going through. There was no amount of redirecting or twisting and turning that can be done to completely separate one of the subsidiary companies from having some of that backlash kind of mm-hmm. impact us. So part of my time at Tumblr was also with my team to kind of keep them focused and motivated also on the bigger picture and to say, yes, our parent company is getting absolutely trounced. Yes, we are impacted by it. And unfortunately, Mm -hmm. Tumblr's brand is going to take a hit by association. Don't get discouraged. And Mm -hmm. here's what you're here for. And here are the important stories that we can continue to tell and kind of keep your keep your head on straight in the middle of. yeah. Yeah. And especially if you're dealing with a younger workforce, which often if you're at a startup, you are. They haven't been through some of the stuff you've been through. I mean, I think I've been through like 
eight different acquisitions at this point. So I'm like, yeah, okay. Like it's all, like, <laughs> no it's deal. all old hat, but you have to remember that. Get acquired. What is it? Tuesday? <laughs> yeah. But you have to remember again. that for some people they're you know, this is all new to them. And for a lot of people today, especially our identities are so enmeshed with our jobs that it can feel very disruptive when something is going on. So yeah, yeah. there was a huge lesson there. in just when times are, difficult to really step up and help people see yeah. clearly kind of the, the yeah. bigger picture. I love that. That was a tough question. I, will admit. <laughs> I know I put you on the spot. That was a tough question, but I love it yeah. because that is you took a negative and you turned it into a positive where you galvanize people behind a mission and remind them With why they're there. But also why they're there, right? And it's like that's that's yeah. not yes. Let's give a little little. Oh golf wow! Yeah, about that, yeah. golf it's club. almost like I work in communications. I know, guys. I, know, crazy. I, know. So I know. We're throwing weird. you some throwing you some curveballs. All right. Well, speaking of personal stories, okay. we're going to pause briefly. When, when we're back, we're going to learn a little bit more about the personal side of Catherine <laughs> right after this. Just in time for Amber's arrival. Just in time for Amber to grill me. Okay. That's up Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network and find prior episodes at contentisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. All right, Catherine, uh, this is the part of the the podcast where we get to uh, learn a little bit more about you as a human. And I will uh, I'll do the dirty deed and start it off. Uh, and then uh, let Amber and Ritesh pipe in as they as they will. My question is this. You know, we talk about being in people's homes and yes. the privilege and respect yes. of that. Uh, and my question is, if you were to walk into Catherine's home and, <laughs> and you're married, yes, I and am. your husband yes. and yes. soon baby's home. <laughs> soon baby's home. Ginger's home. My dog's yeah, home, really. Home. For those who have worked with you yes, and those who know you, yes, if they were to come into your home and never been in it before, what might they find in your home that would actually surprise them? <laughs> That would give an additional insight into who you are. Yeah. Uh, well, they would not be surprised to see that it's full of Christmas decorations right now. <laughs> or that I have a very fully stocked kitchen. Like, those would not be surprising. Are you a host? I do like to host. Yeah, I do. Yes. I do. Yes. A great host. Oh, thank you. <laughs> they would probably be surprised when they went into the baby's room and they saw a... Um, Lego Millennium Falcon model oh, really? uh, that is taking up most of the space that uh -huh. needs to Is that you or go. your husband? It's both of us. Uh -huh. So my husband... Wow, that's um, kind. I know. I'm being very kind. I'm being very generous to Charles. I'm, I absolutely adore my husband and I. he has so many quirks that I find really charming. So when he, you know, shows up with a gigantic box a $900 Millennium Falcon Lego set and says, can I have it? I'm like, oh my God, yes, of course. And I'll work on it with you. And then we'll put it prominently displayed in the nursery. He just bought a glass case to enclose it. <laughs> I drew the line. It's all about babies. preservation. I know. Every morning yeah. the baby's going to wake up and there's going to be like this. Like, well, well, how will that affect the development? I drew the line. No, guys, he wanted to make it into a coffee table. That would oh have been God. quite literally the first oh thing God. you see when you walk in. So I drew the line there. But I think most people would expect that I, you know, I'm very friendly, but that I would be like, like kind of putting my foot down on some of this yeah. stuff. And actually I'm like, I think this is charming and adorable. And even though it's not my, <laughs> so funny. it's like not my style, but I'm like, whatever you want, babe, you want, there's also like a NASA rocket. There's like kind of some really Something weird theme, nerdy yeah. stuff. So that sounds, that sounds That's pretty great. amazing. <laughs> that would have been the first coffee table to do the Kessel run in less than 12 parts. Like <laughs> yeah. What, um, when you, so you, have a degree in anthropology, correct? I have a, a degree in theater performance and another degree in anthropology. I went with very practical majors that Super can absolutely practical. be used today. <laughs> what did you think you, when you were in college and when you were growing up, what did you think you wanted to do one day? Yeah. Well, the first thing I wanted to do when I was in preschool, I wanted to be a professional golfer, uh, quote unquote, like my dad, because well, my obviously. dad worked in sales. And so I thought he was a professional golfer. <laughs> Um, he's not. <laughs> so that was my first, my first wish and dream was to be like my dad and you're going to go to the golf course. Your first is realizing yeah. he's not a he's professional not, golfer. He's very good, but he's, he's not just professional. He's just a golfer, Correct. just not a professional. He just, yeah, he, he's professional exactly. in your heart. 
So that was my first my first dream. My second was to be a writer, which I still one day I will complete one of my many half finished books and mm-hmm. projects. That's still that's in my heart. Um, one day I'll get to it mm-hmm. uh, with all of the free time that Alfred's giving me back. Little, little plug there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I got into theater. And so I went to school to be an actress. And I thought that I was going to graduate from college and pound the pavement and do the acting slash bartending thing. I picked up anthropology because I thought I took a few anthropology classes and I thought it was really fun and really interesting. And there is a part of me that is incredibly practical and was like, I need to have another degree other than a degree in feelings. Um, <laughs> so I did that. And it was my senior year of college when I really and I was I was taking playwriting, which I loved, and I wish I had done more of it when I was in college. But it was my senior year when I was getting ready to do all of the auditions that come with the end of senior year and try to get an agent. And I was like, God, I hate auditioning. God, I hate rejection. I'm really not well suited <laughs> to, uh-huh. to, to, to do this. Uh, I, I love I love performing and actually more than performing. I love workshopping and working Mm -hmm. on a a piece or a play. I love the camaraderie Mm -hmm. and the creation, which I think actually applies like Mm -hmm. pretty directly to what I do now. So I ended up um, interviewing for a junior PR position at a tiny, tiny firm that handled mostly clients in the classical music and opera space, which Mm -hmm. was something I knew nothing. I knew nothing (laughs) about opera nor did I know anything about PR. I had to Google what is PR before mm. I went to the interview because I had been in this bubble of, you know, movement class and vocal lab and, you know, training and theater history. Um, so how did you fake it? How did you convince <laughs> them you knew what you were doing? I didn't even fake it. I just walked in. And I said, I love the arts. I love to write. I'll work really hard. And it didn't hurt that the girl who interviewed me had the same handbag as me for Mark Jacobs. And she said, I love your handbag. And I said, I love yours. And she was like, I think that we can work together. And I said, great. <laughs> I love that. It was my first interview and my first job. And I learned a really important lesson about how you need to negotiate for salary, which I did not do. And so mm. I always tell people. I didn't like, do that in my first professional job either. I didn't do it at all. I, just I, never I didn't either. No, Nobody never. does, right? I You're was like, just I'll so take excited. It. Yeah, to you were so happy to get Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) They were like, you will barely be able to afford your rent. You probably won't be able to eat and you'll have to work really hard. And I'm like, that sounds fine. (laughs) Exactly. I tell I mean, I'm like, I tell everybody now I'm like, just like you have to negotiate, even if I'm making you an offer. Like, I, of course, want you to take what I'm giving you. But I also part of me really wants you to negotiate because I want you to, you know, stand up for yourself and know your value. And that like takes time mm-hmm. to learn. So I ended up in this tiny PR firm as the junior publicist learning how to use my writing and, you know, people skills and my passion for the arts to apply it to, you know, running the accounts for 10 different opera singers and classical mm-hmm. music firms and learning PR very much trial by fire. Um, and it was a great and horrible experience at the same time because it was really hard and I think everyone's first job should be really hard because after that, you're like, I am unstoppable and I can do mm-hmm. anything. And I cried many times in the bathroom at my, at my job, but then, you know, would go like wipe my tears away and get on the phone with, you know, Opera Week or the New York Times huh. or my, you know, opera singer client and kind of pull it together and fake it. And I found through doing it that I was like, oh, communications and PR is actually something mm-hmm. that. I'm totally suited to do. And I had no idea. So I got very lucky in the sense that I found a way to uh, to take all the things I loved about storytelling and working with people and writing and apply it to something that could really become my career and, you know, can still support my friends who are in the arts Mm -hmm. and go see their stuff and work on things like occasionally if I can help support in some way, then like that's amazing but it, I got very lucky in that sense. Because I know you. I know yes. that you come from an amazing, dynamic family with a few siblings. Yes. I share with everybody, you know, you have two sisters, but also like, what would they say about you? <laughs> I have two amazing, amazing sisters. My younger sisters are like my absolute heart. I love them so much. Um, 
They would they'd probably say something. They would first like make a joke and say that I'm like self-centered and crazy because they would. (laughs) And then they would probably say that I I work really hard. I care a lot about people. I care tremendously about being a good example for them and a good example for whether it's my team or my friends. Like I I try to be I, I don't know. I think you can be successful and kind at the same time. And I really try to embody that. So my sisters would say all those lovely things. And then they would also say, um, and she's late all the time and she's self-centered. And uh, but we still love her. <laughs> I feel like we've gone through such a journey with you, Catherine. Wow. Honestly, a really a nice, comfortable, tasty journey, by the Very way. Tasty given, given journey. The, <laughs> given the, the snacks that you brought for us all. But if, if we did. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if we were to give you the opportunity to have the last word, to, to reflect on our conversation and, and maybe share one piece of wisdom, whether it has to do with our conversation or anything else you'd like to impart, what would be, what would be the crumb you'd like to leave behind for everybody that they can go out with their day hanging on to? Well, thank you. Um, I've had an amazing, amazing conversation with you guys and you've made it so easy and so fun. So I appreciate it. When you said, what's the one crumb you would leave with people? The thing that immediately came into my mind is really the mantra that I try to live by most days, especially on the hard days, which is to really celebrate the wins, Mm. celebrate every single thing, big or small that happens in your day, that happens in your life. Don't let it just pass you by. Take a minute. Uh, If you work with teams, take a minute to celebrate their wins, to encourage them and to look for the good in everything that you do. Well, that's great. That's great. Thank you very much. And Thank how can you. people find you or follow you, whether it's LinkedIn, social, through your company? Yeah. Well, certainly, if you want to know more about Hello Alfred, you can find us at Hello Alfred on all the social channels. And I'm just Catherine at Hello Alfred, Catherine with a K. So feel free to reach out, especially we're hiring all the time. So if you want to work with us, little plug for that. Mm. Uh I'm uh, I'm on all the social stuff you would expect. Catherine Barna on LinkedIn, Kath Barna on Twitter. You can find me on Instagram at a little space. I have my my like cutesy handle still and I'll never change it. Um, <laughs> and yeah, please connect. Would love to chat. Catherine Barna of Hello, Alfred. Say hello to you and goodbye to you. <laughs> uh, thank you very much for joining us. It was really just such a wonderful way to start the day with a conversation with you. Wish you the very best, and I hope that you get a lot of hellos through the years to thank Hello, you. Alfred. Uh, and best of luck to you. Congratulations yeah, thank on you. Your, your, your baby shark that's coming. My so. baby shark. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's it for this great, great episode of Content is Your Business. For Ritesh Gupta. Thanks so much for being here. All right. And Amber Mundiger. Thank you so much for being here. That's all you get to say, Amber. That's, that's what you get. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. You're like, you're uh, kind of <laughs> no, thank, thank you. I'm Mark Rako. It was really great to have you with us. And we'll see you next time. Have a great day. This has been Content Is Your Business. Produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2019. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network and find prior episodes at contentisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. Thank you for listening.